Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Il n'y a que lui, Alexandre Lacazette. Eux de garde, oh bien joué, la passe aveugle avec Chambers. Anderson contre son corps. Cette mise sur le banc. Qui a besoin de La gâchette, Alexandre Lacazette. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you, No, too, hang Andrew. on, sorry, sorry, let me take that back. Bad morning at first, but yeah. then good morning. In protest, the first third of this podcast is going to be absolutely atrocious. Um, and then the, after that, we're going to really pick it up and end yeah. on a real high. Yeah, exactly. And then spurn a chance to make it the best podcast of all time right at the end. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a weird, 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 weird game that was. I w- it was. Yeah, it was. And trying to detach myself very slightly from it from you know an Arsenal perspective I couldn't help but wonder if it was a game that was in some ways um, very much a game from this season if you like you know what I mean maybe I feel like it was a darn sight more entertaining than a lot of the other games I've seen this season but yeah just the craziness well I'm sure it was entertaining for the neutral, whoever that guy yeah. is, and we know we d- we don't like that guy. I mean, he's Screw neutral. Take a position. Take a position, man. But you know, <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah, I see it would be entertaining if you were just sitting there and you were watching a game of football between two teams you don't support. That would have been great fun. But you know, obviously, our our perspective on it is is quite different. But I do think it, you know, there was something about that game and what happened and how it happened and and everything else that felt a bit like. Ah, uh, this is another mad thing that's happened over the last while, so let's kind of roll with it. Yeah, I saw as well, it was kind of one of those where the, the the comeback, as exciting as it was, it does lack something without kind of the fans in the away end, doesn't it? Celebrating yeah, the late equaliser. exactly. Or even the fans, the home fans, shitting themselves. To be fair, Jamie Carragher did his best, didn't he, on, on the co-commentary to start making weird noises towards the end like when <laughs> when Declan when Declan Rice went on that run towards the Arsenal goal yeah. he was like ooh, ooh. um you know those kind of sounds which I was making that provide. noise at home as well actually I have to be honest on really? my sofa exactly uh, the same my noises came out of the other end so we won't yeah. go there fair enough um, yeah, it was it was it was I guess a bit emblematic of this uh, weird season but I think. It was kind of a microcosm of Arsenal all in the space mm. of 90 minutes. You know, our inconsistencies uh, and our deficiencies and our strengths mm. all apparent within the space of the same game. There was a lot to take in. 
There sure was. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. Or two faces, as Michael Arteta said afterwards. We have two faces. Mm. Somebody said to me on Twitter that maybe he was saying there were two phases in the game, which could be equally applicable, but two faces seems to be much better. It is like, oh, we, we like the variance between how good we can be and how bad we can be is enormous, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is quite extraordinary. And how quickly it can seem to veer mm. between the two. Um, you know, uh, it, it, yeah. I, I, I almost, I'm almost at a loss for what to say about it because it is so, it's an mm. extraordinary capacity we have. And I guess if you can be really good and you can be really bad, where you end up is pretty much bang in the middle. And yeah. that's where we are. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to get rid of the the bad as much as possible, or certainly uh, do less of the bad and do more of the good. But that's an issue uh, involving consistency and and things that we've discussed time and time again on this. I think our last podcast. nine league games. Sorry, I'm just fiddling with my headphones. But that's I think okay. our last nine league games have seen us win three, draw three, and lose three. Um, yeah, and then we went three down and and came back by three. I mean, we are. The, the most odd of teams. Three is the magic number, as Della Sol For us, once it seems said. to be. Yeah. It's not that magic, though. It could be, you know, more magic. Maybe we need to get a different magic number. So, you know, from those nine, nine of them are wins. Maybe nine could be <laughs> our magic nine number. was our magic number. Um, we'll yeah. probably lose 9 nil, but right. let's not worry about that. Right, let's let's go from the start and the team selection. Emil Smith-Rowe not 100% fit, according to Martin Tyler in the commentary. Mm-hmm. So that's why he didn't start. But the deployment of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the right and Bakayo Saka on the left from the uh, first whistle was odd to me. Can you think of a reason why Mikel Arteta chose to do that given that it has very rarely, if ever, worked with Aubameyang on the right-hand side. I mean, the argument could be that with Callum Chambers in the side at right-back to give us a bit more, um, what's the, you know, presence, because West Ham, as we know, are very good in the air and very good from set pieces, to to sort of add a bit more dynamism to that right-hand side you put in Aubameyang. You know, mm-hmm. who's, yeah, I'm, again, I, I'm struggling. Uh, I'm actually stretching here to think of a reason why that might be the case. I mean, you don't put Aubameyang on the wing for his defensive work in particular, do you? Arteta said afterwards that, like, well, the reason we played him there, you know, well, we, we had a good reason, but we didn't play well. Uh, and we didn't, you know, do the game as well as we should have. Therefore, we couldn't, you know, get the best out of him in that position, et cetera, et cetera. But I just think that's a bad decision. I, do you know what? I think it's a little bit tricky because I don't think it's the reason we conceded no. the goals that we did. No, I, I agree with you there. Uh, and, and so sort of to an extent, whatever that plan was, and I can only assume, you know, West Ham, they have slightly lopsided fullbacks, a bit like us. You know, Cresswell is the one who gets forward on the left-hand side, Kufal less so. Mm. And I guess they were thinking... Maybe Aubameyang can exploit that space in behind or can pin him back in some way. Yeah. That would be my best guess, right? Yeah. Obviously, it didn't work at all. Um, and so, uh, you know, you look at it now and you say, well, it was the wrong decision. But I, in a way, I kind of feel like it probably wouldn't have worked, but it also kind of never got a chance to, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I get it. But then people will say that you don't give yourself the best opportunity to control the game the way you want, you know, by picking a player out of position maybe is harsh because he has played there before but in a position where he's never really played well there that's exactly it that's exactly it so you're putting yourself at a disadvantage even if your plan is like you say exploit the space that Creswell leaves behind Mm. I mean I think what was obvious in that first 15-20 minutes when he was on the right hand side is that Creswell had pretty much all the joy that he had in the game during that period and when Saka Mm. went over there he was much less effective you yeah, know, yeah. so it, di- I mean, it listen, didn't work. It didn't work. And what, I suppose one of my issues with this game is that, like, the selection I thought was, was it, you know, it's with hindsight, you look at the team selection, you say, well, that didn't help. You know, we had a really dreadful start. But then we came back into the game very strongly with effectively the same yeah. 11 players. Yeah. So I don't... I don't want to ascribe it all to that. Do you know what I mean? No, I know. It's it's um it is difficult to try and get your head around why exactly there was such variance between the the two levels of performance. Yeah. Um and there are small things like I think you're right, Aubameyang being out on the right didn't help us because, you know, not only does he not give you a lot defensively, He's also just not very comfortable there mm. going forward. You know, maybe rotating in Pablo Marie disturbed the balance at centre-half. You know, we made changes to the back four. And yeah. It was a ragged line at times. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, those two selections, Chambers and Pablo Marie, yeah. clearly there for their presence, their size, their height. Pablo Marie, of course, is, you know, the biggest central defender that we have. So dealing with the um the aerial threat that that West Ham have and Suchek and, and everything else, you could see the rationale behind those selections, mm-hmm. whether they were effective in terms of stopping um West Ham being a threat, that's another thing. Because, you know, I don't think Louise and Marie really dovetailed particularly well. It looked to me that there was a bit of, not tension, but like Louise had a few of those moments, didn't he, where he kind of looks unhappy at what his partner is doing, even if his partner is just playing him a a simple pass. You know, he has those kind of games. And I think um, it didn't really work because Suchek was dangerous and and obviously they scored um, from an aerial position as well. So, yeah, you can see the reasons why selections were made and changes were made and some rotation was was uh, put in place but look it didn't work those first 30 32 minutes were as bad as anything we've produced under Arteta definitely and and ultimately you know the manager has to be responsible for that but i think without wishing to kind of absolve him i i, I do i do think that this was about much more than kind of the names on the team sheet and i think that the performance level of the whole team was just not there. They just weren't at the races, to use a cliche. Europa League hangover, concentration, whatever it might be. I mean, it is kind of inexplicable, isn't it? Because, you know, all the... the, Oh, maybe it's not inexplicable, but, you know, all the pregame talk, I'm sure, would have been about, you know, let's start strongly. Uh, We do have those uh, European minutes under our uh, belt during the week or in our legs. So maybe just sit in, keep it tight for first 15, 20 minutes and then grow into the game. Like, I wasn't surprised that we started 
relatively slowly, given you know what we've done in the last few weeks with the two Olympiacos games and, and the Spurs mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. No, nor I. And I think West Ham, you know, they were aware of uh, they'd had a week to prepare for this game mm. since the match at Old Trafford, and they were aware of the schedule we faced, and they. You know, they were looking... I mean, what happened with the quick free kick? They were looking to do that from the first whistle. They were taking throw-ons quickly. They were yeah. taking free kicks quickly. I think they sensed maybe that Arsenal would be looking to kind of feel their way into the game. And they exploited that very well. They were very predatory on that. But, you know, a lot of these players um, have had rests at various stages in this intense period. And it just felt like the intensity simply wasn't there. I mean, David Luiz, it's often said of him, you te- you can tell very early on what sort of David Luiz you're going to get in the course of a game. And, you know, I, I thought we learned... Well, I-, I thought he was way off the pace from the first whistle, to be honest. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I agree. I thought he grew into the game quite well and defended sure, quite bravely in the second half. But that's true of true of everybody. And, I, you know, I realistically, I don't know how much you can expect from a 33, nearly 34-year-old central defender, you know, he's played a lot of late. He really has played yeah. a lot of late. And you can see that that's in his uh, in his legs. And I'm not making excuses for poor performance or anything, but that's, that's an issue the manager has to deal with. And maybe something we can chat about a bit later on. Let's do the goals. Um, the first one, but, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good goal, I guess, but you can always look at a goal and see... We could have done a bit more there. We could have, you know, could Louise have closed down Antonio better? Could Pablo Marie have uh, stayed a bit more towards the edge of the box to block off Lingard? Uh, Chambers couldn't get there in time, etc., etc. But a good strike. Do you have any major, major issue with that goal? I think Louise, you know... he gets dragged out into the channel and he gets beat, basically. I mean, you know, he, he backs off and backs off, mm. allowing the guy to pull it back for Lingard. From that point on, it's a really good finish. And of course, we should have expected it. Jesse Lingard has a sort of nasty habit of scoring goals against Arsenal. It seems to me anyway, maybe just because I have an irrational... No, actually, a very rational dislike of Jesse Lingard. Yes. Um, I notice them more. But it, it is a really good strike uh, from him. And I suppose yeah. uh, we can't... We can't ask too many questions on that front, but I did feel that we were quite passive in the way that yes. we defended in the build I, I think both central defenders were poor for the first goal. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, the good second hit. goal, obviously, uh, you know, I had more grievances. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, on the. On the, it's a disgrace that the free kick was taken from a you know different position than the offence was committed in right, yeah. uh, point of view. Where do you stand on that one? Like, in terms of that being an issue worth discussing, uh, to me, it's fucking irrelevant, to be honest. I, do you know what? I had to go, I have to confess, I had to check out the, what exactly the law is, because it does feel like 90% of the time the referee won't let you take a free kick until he's blown a second whistle for it. Um, but apparently that's at the referee's discretion. Mm. Like, he, he determines if, uh, I forget what the phrasing of it is exactly, but, you know, yeah. he, he can say, you can't take this until my whistle. And if he doesn't, then it's yeah. within the player's control for an indirect free kick. Look, I think some of the decisions that John Moss made yesterday were to our benefit. You think about, was it the third goal that we took a uh, quick free kick ourselves? Yeah. When West yeah. Ham were looking for a... Um, 
they were looking for a foul in midfield. And look, John Moss never going to be my favourite guy, but I, to me, it's absolutely pointless discussing the fact that a free kick was taken from not the position that the foul was taken in, but it was further away from the goal. So it's not as if they gained an advantage in terms of, um, you know, distance to our goal or anything like that. If it was five yards further forward, of course you might have a little bit of an issue with that. The, The issue is that the Arsenal players, to a man basically, all switched off when that free kick was given. Saka was arguing with the referee. Uh, Shaka turns away. Pablo Marie turns turns away. away. Kieran Tierney turns away. Uh, Pablo Marie turns away. Bernd Leno turns away. Uh, David Luiz is looking at the ball, um, you know, but he's too far away to to do anything about it. West Ham were opportunistic and smart, and they were uh, rewarded for it. We were punished for it, uh, you know, for just ridiculous lack of concentration and awareness that at this level I mean they kept saying it on the TV didn't they it's schoolboy stuff schoolboy error schoolboy it's the first thing you're taught is never turn your back on the ball blah 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 I mean we all know that and that's why to me there's just no point whatsoever in talking about the referee or you know the quick free kick or, or, or anything like that don't be don't bemoan a refereeing decision or lack of decision when your players could very easily have um, stopped the danger there just by being aware, just by concentrating. There's a, a terrible lack of concentration by not one, but basically four or five players, and it cost yeah. us. So th- that's it, it, that's where people should be pissed off, not at the referee. It is almost the entire team. And I, I did see some people saying, well, the referee's getting out the spray, you know, to set up the wall. But so what? <laughs> if the player's attention was on the referee... That would make some sense, but it's not. Yeah. They're all just literally switched off, you know, and it, it's really, really, really sloppy. I think I said on Twitter, it's unprofessional. And I think it is, you know, they just weren't focused in that moment. Mm. And I burned Leno sort of, he sort of flickers like a hologram, doesn't he? As the shot goes in at the near post. I, uh, it looks bad for him and it is bad, but I also think he is slightly unlucky in that it takes a deflection off Pablo Marie. And it's quite close, you know? If you, yeah, if you have but, a look at the but, shot... But shouldn't he be guarding that post anyway? No, I'm like, sure, I'm sure. I'm not... I, I just think it, it, it. it's... It's not a... Is it a goalkeeping error? Maybe it is to be beaten at your near post. It's one of those things. You should never be beaten at your near post, even though goalkeepers are beaten at their it's near just, post. It's just, you know, Almunia trauma for me. You yeah, know? no, I, I get I, it. I, I get it. I just think the only thing I'm saying is that, that it was made more difficult because of the... Uh, the, the deflection of Pablo Marie, who's like three or four yards out, or maybe a little bit more than that. But, you know, it takes a deflection off him. I mean, we saw what a small deflection can do when Lacazette, in inverted commas, scored just before um, just before halftime. So, you know, it is a factor in, in that ball going in, which isn't to say that Leno covered himself in glory or anything like it. Yeah, that's fair. I hadn't actually noticed that on the first couple of watches, but you're right. right it does take a nick. But I, I still, I, for me, I st- I'm still looking at the keeper. I think he needs to do a bit better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I was just, you know, laying out the full facts here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, third goal. Arteta was furious about the second two goals. Absolutely unacceptable, I think, is what he said about the, the second yeah. and third goals. What part of the third goal do you think will have frustrated him the most good question because there's a few things i mean there's leno's 
pass out to Tierney, right? Mm. Which sort of starts it all off, which is a difficult one to control. Then Tierney quite mm. casual, I suppose, volleying yeah. it back in field. Um, so there's the concession of possession, which is pretty bad. Um, I think it's going to be probably one of those two, although I would say... Aubameyang could do a lot more to help yeah, Quarantini out. That that he could. And I think that, when Arteta looks back at it... You know, the other things are not great, but they're just sort of part and parcel of of football in a way. You know, you you make a casual pass or, or your goalkeeper puts you in a bit of trouble or you don't win a header in the box against, you know, a player like Antonio who is really good in the air. He's so strong, yep. you know. So being beaten to a header is not great for a central defender, but it happens. It's not an egregious mistake. I think when Arteta looks back on that goal and he analyzes it with more camera angles than we have because I've watched it and we don't quite get to see uh, the wide angle, but I'm pretty sure that Aubameyang could do an awful lot more to close down the guy who crosses the ball for the um, for the for the header. Yeah, he switches off a little bit when the ball comes back to Kufal, and I don't have any issues with David Luiz on that one, just because Antonio is so good in the air and he does have a bit of a run on him. You know, I, I think he's he's always second favourite there, Luiz, but. Yeah, I mean, it's another goal that kind of comes from, I suppose, a bit of a playing out from the back error. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I should probably do a little bit more. I mean, again, maybe that's maybe that's sort of incurred a little bit by the fact he starts on the right and then switches to the left and he's not quite as aware of his responsibilities as he should be on that side. Yeah. I don't know. Well, but he's he's, you he's know, plenty aware of his responsibility on the left-hand side because he's played there time to time. Oh, there is another be. angle. Yeah, I'm just watching another angle of it here. He really could do an awful lot more. He just kind of switches off and lets the he number five, off. who's the number five, the um, Kufal. Kufal. You know, and he really could do an awful lot better. I'm wondering as well, is there someone who could... I mean, I think that was that going in, whether it hit Suchek or not. Yeah, good question. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I actually couldn't tell what had happened at first. Uh, and the way that Antonio, um, he was, you could see him saying Suchek, Suchek. And I thought he was saying check for VAR. I thought he was like, oh, maybe, you know, it might be given offside. Mm. Um, maybe it's not going in, but, you know, we got a big break of our own with the goal that got us back yeah, into the game. Yeah, I'm just looking. We? I mean, it might well have been going in. I don't think Leno was getting there anyway. I mean, Antonio is sort of a bit of a kryptonite player, for, I think, for this Arsenal team. You know, he he, mm. he is he is a handful, but the way our back four played in the first half hour, I think, made him look significantly better than he is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so look... 3-0 down, and <laughs> you're thinking, what the fuck? And I was genuinely a bit worried that it might get worse. Same. You know, 2-0, I thought this could be like 4 or 5. Mm. Um, I really thought we were that bad in yeah. the end period. You know, at 2-0, I was thinking, well, if we get one, you know, there's a long time to go. If we get one, then, you know, it's only a one-goal game. Um, mm. And I was thinking... As the ball came out to Callum Chambers at one point, I was going, this, you know, I know why Chambers was picked uh, for this game from a defensive perspective. Yeah. Are we going to have to make a change 
at right back, which is not ideal when you need to score three goals, right? You're thinking, well, mm-hmm. that's a bit counterintuitive, making a, a change at right back. But just to give you, you know, Cedric was on the bench. He's maybe a bit more traditional in terms of a fullback and what you might expect in somebody who could get up and down and, and get deliveries in. And we know that, you know, his set piece delivery and his, his crossing is, is pretty good. I did not see that coming from Callum Chambers. Did not see it coming. No, no. And he, it was an important outlet for Arsenal in the whole game, wasn't it? Him getting forward in that way. And yeah. his delivery was was good. Uh, it was great. Um, it was great. Yeah. I mean, it's a, the power and pace and, you know, the timing of it and not taking extra touches and, and you know, putting the ball in the right area. He did it more than once, obviously. Um, you know, the, the own goal is a great example of what happens when the quality of your delivery is too good for a defense to deal with, even if one of your attacking players can't get there. But more than once, he put the ball in, and, and Fabianski had some difficulties dealing with mm-hmm. it. That's right. Um, you know, defensively as well, I think one of the things that's overlooked in the game is that, that Chambers made eight clearances, which is more than any other Arsenal player. So he didn't just do it at one end of the pitch. It was a hell of a performance from him because... You know, he kind of sparked into life a bit and Arsenal sparked into life a bit, um, you know, on the 40-minute mark, whatever it was. But yeah. Chambers' performance um, was was really, really good at both ends. He deserves a lot of credit for um, for coming into the team after being out for so long and, and maybe not being the ideal guy, uh, at least on paper, for the position that we found ourselves in. To be 3-0 down, you're looking for as much attacking... Um, prowess as you can get and that's not necessarily something that you would associate with Callum Chambers so like you say I don't think it was the reason he was picked you know no. I, I, I do think that was probably for his height but it was a really good performance Sky gave him man of the match um, mm. I think for me Odegaard was our yep. best player and oh. I, I do think he really helps whoever plays at right back because of his natural tendency to drift to that side and he's got the timing of the pass to play players in on that flank credit to Lacazette as well I, I know obviously it takes a significant deflection on the way through yeah. but it's a nice touch uh, to set up the shot um, it is good touch turn and shoot and you yeah. know it is kind of unfortunate for him that 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 goes down as as an own goal it feels very nitpicky in a way that it's it's credited as uh, an own goal because Lacazette's work there was was excellent you know and I think he yeah. he was you know that's the best game he's had for us in a long time that was a really uh, influential performance from Lacazette because when you look at what he was involved in um, there was that moment after he, he, he again, in inverted commas, scored the goal to make it 3-1. He played Saka through with a lovely ball in behind. I think Saka yeah. should score there. I think he's Me got too. to score. You know, took the wrong so, option I, I wonder if he picked the wrong side. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It felt like that to me. Um, and actually, uh, this is... Saka, I mean, has been fantastic, obviously, mm. for the vast majority of the season I do think if there is an area he might improve it might be his finishing mm. um, there have been quite a few instances in the last several months where he's had chances I've thought oh he could do better there. Yeah. Or he's had a few near misses should we say yeah 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 um, for sure and, and I'm sure he's got the potential because he scored goals very regularly at youth level and we've seen him finish really well on some occasions I just think that consistency in his finishing yeah. is still to come I mean yeah that, that could have been 3-2 probably should have been 3-2 before half time yeah. which would have been Astonishing scoreline, given. I love given the pass happened. from Lacazette, by the way, in the build-up. Oh, to that. it's, it's really, really, nice really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and there was another moment as well, I think, before, just before the break, where Saka, it could have been Tierney Cross, and Saka was um, was there, and his shot just deflected off someone and, and squirted just wide of the post. So, you know, from that right. moment on, from the, the moment the goal went in, the momentum change and that can happen of course when you're 3-0 up and you're protecting a lead and everything else but you know I think you have to give uh, as bad as we were and there's no question we were bad uh, and you can be as critical as you want to be for that and and rightly so you know uh, the only reason we showed character was because we showed brittleness to go 3-0 behind etc etc you know Mm -hmm. but but we really did respond in a terrific way um like i said could have been three two very early in the first half i think it was it callum chambers with a little kind of stab pass over the top of the defense yeah yeah it was outside of the foot from chambers which is used to good effect before do you remember a mm, great guy we scored with the outside of his boot um at the emirates stadium yes i do actually was it burnley or someone like that burnley or stoke someone like that you know and uh that was a brilliant pass too I think Lacazette sort of does the right thing, you know, lifts it over the keeper. Do you think he should score there? Or? Uh, look, I think he has to try and score. I saw people talking about, look, because he got a tug. There was no question he got a tug. And Oh, yeah, for sure. If he'd gone down, would that have been... I mean, it was I outside the box. That's a red card if he goes down. It was outside the box, but I wonder would it have been, or could it have been a red card yeah. by the letter of the law? Uh, You'd be screaming for it as an yeah, Arsenal fan. I guess so. But I think, really, I want my striker to try and score a goal there. You know, mm. And it was cleared off the line. It was a great piece of defending by Diop. Diop, yeah. It is such a good pass from Chambers. I'm just watching it back now. Mm. I mean, you know, I think we do forget about him. He has got a good technical level and has played central midfield. So he mm. can pass the ball well. Yeah, for sure. And that's an excellent one. And, and actually not that... <laughs> Common a sight to see Lacazette going in behind. He sort of did it well by going both directions yesterday. He was dropping off very, mm. very well, but was also a threat in the penalty box. So, yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't all one-way traffic in fairness because West Ham had an no. amazing chance to make it 4-2. Uh, again, I don't think Pablo Marie was particularly good against Ben Rama and Antonio on the stretch puts the ball against the post from, what, two yards out? Have we done our second goal yet? Is this after our second goal? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, we talked about Chambers, the delivery, didn't we? I mean, yeah. uh, d- does Martin Odegaard have the pre-assist for each goal? He does, yeah. You know, and yeah. he's... Oh, God, I love him already. I really do. <laughs> I just love watching him. He's just the kind of player I, I love to watch. He's got so much ability, but I, I I really like his character and his personality. This is a guy who's on loan here, you know, and he's playing like it means everything to him and the club mm. and the shirt and the badge and all the things you want to say. You know, he's... he's um, Arteta praised his leadership, didn't he, before, yeah. before the game. Um, the Norwegian journalists always ask about him and he always tries to say the same thing, but in a slightly different way. Um <laughs> You know, but he, you can see why he loves him. And even when we were playing really badly, Odegaard was the the one Arsenal player I think who who really stood out in terms of what he was trying to do. Who didn't let his head go down. Who who kept trying to play. Kept play. You know, he's just yeah. a joy, a joy, a joy, a joy to watch. I love watching him in, in an Arsenal. Yeah, I thought show. he had a really good cameo in the Europa League as well. Yeah. I thought he was. 
you know, one of the players who emerged with some credit from from that game. This is the goal where we took quite a quick free kick, actually, and benefited from it. And Odegaard's most common pass in the game was Chambers. Yeah. So that combination on our right-hand side was really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Um, would have been interesting to see what happened if Dawson misses that you know does Aubameyang get there does he put it in the day he was having yeah but, you don't uh, know but I mean it's a moot point I guess and, and yeah. Um, yeah who knows who knows good delivery though for Chambers yeah Force I mean really good defender into a decision really good you know it's one of those things as a central defender that you just can't do much about you know so no. Um, yeah. yeah, so I mean, down to the the quality of the de- the delivery from Chambers, he deserves and, a lot of credit for that. And just to say, like on both our first and second goals, you'll notice that you know Odegaard's involved on the right hand side, but Bukayo Saka's involved in those moves as well, mm. and you know that is another argument for you know saying why did Aubameyang start on that wing you know when you've yeah. got Saka who's maybe got some relationships developing on that flank yeah why not lean into that uh, so uh, so 3-2 and then three, two. did you at that point are you thinking we're going to do this well I mean I wasn't confident that we were going to not concede <laughs> right, I didn't yeah. it didn't seem implausible to me that we would score again even though we're not great at scoring late, but we had players on the pitch who could score goals, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did make changes. Smith Rowe came on for Shaka, which was interesting, and then uh, Pepe on for for Bakayo Saka. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that with, with those players on the pitch, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Odegaard, Pepe, uh, Smith Rowe, then Martinelli on for for Aubameyang that you could score a goal. My issue, my worry, I suppose, was that we would concede another one. And there were dangerous moments. We talked about Antonio Same hitting the way. post. There was a really, really good block by Kieran Tierney. Um, yeah, yeah, which was which was excellent. Uh, there was the Declan Rice um, one where he like a like an ent on speed just fucking <laughs> strides <laughs> through the midfield yeah it was like stop him stop him I could see where this is just stop him just someone just trip him up just trip him up it was one I of mean, those how they don't score on the Antonio one I, um, it's yeah. quite incredible isn't it Ben Rama when he drives <clears throat> through and sort of has the cross shot I mean yeah West Ham fans must feel absolutely sick to their stomach that oh, they managed sure. to not win this game. I'm sure, like 3 0 up, and, and, you know. And they had real chances for the fourth yeah, goal. Exactly, exactly. So, look, the equaliser, again, Odegaard to Pepe. The. I think the pass from Odegaard makes Pepe or makes Pepe's mind up for him as to what he has mm-hmm. to do. Because we mm-hmm. know he doesn't really like using his right foot if he can help it. Yeah. You know? But the the way the pass ran meant he had to take it on the on the run and, and that's possibly the best thing he's ever done with his right foot um for Arsenal. Oh no it's not. I'm thinking of a goal. goal that was the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. League where he okay. rolled it out of his studs. Yeah. But second it is best an absolute thing. peach of a yeah. cross. Um it really is. And a good header, really good header from from Lancazette to equalise. So yeah, it's it's just, I mean, yeah, it's a nice header from Lacazette, but the cross really does put it, you know, on yeah. the plate for him. And um, I think the West Ham centre-halves just lose sight of Lacazette, to be honest. Yeah. They wouldn't be too happy with that. But uh, I, I think we absolutely deserved it. You know, after that dreadful half hour, 
I felt like we really, really responded well. Mm. Um, and it, we might even have won it. I think Pepe used up all his right foot juice on that cross because the, <laughs> the, the opportunity that he had to to make it 4-3, it's one of those where I just wonder if there was enough of a tug from the defender to, to slightly put him off. Yeah. Maybe not and, enough and, for a penalty, but but enough to just distract him a little, you know? And it does come to him on that foot. I, I, do you know what? I actually wondered if he might have done slightly better with the other half chance, which doesn't look as presentable, but because it falls to his left foot. Do you know the one I mean, where Tierney, Tierney crosses it in it. and it drops 82nd minute, nearly the 83rd. Tierney crosses it in from the left-hand side, again from a... Odegaard pass he's just involved in absolutely everything we do in the game and the ball comes to Pepe at the far stick he brings it down on his chest a, n- a normal player I'd say that's not really much of a chance but with a player as, with a left foot as good as his um, I think he might have generated a little bit more yeah I'm looking at it now shot. oh yeah. yes I think you're right I think you're I right I actually that's think a- that might be a better chance for yeah. him than yeah. the other one that's a bit of a missed kick isn't it it's a yeah. bit of a missed kick. Um, yeah. The other one is a beautiful pass from Odegaard. Um, oh. Mm. oh. <laughs> you're making Jamie Carrigan noises. Ooh. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it reminded me of Cesc Fabregas, to be honest. It was yeah. that good. So that'll it, it was you. a brilliant pass. But, mm. And a good run, to be fair, from Pepe. You yeah. know, he, he makes that diagonal movement. In a similar position from which he scored against... Southampton could have been yeah yeah could have been um, when he's playing off the left handed side yeah. I think and Shaka finds him I yeah. think that's the one yeah, yeah yeah that's the one I'm thinking of yeah but yeah he takes it on his left he has to hit it with his right does he get a little pull I'm not sure mm, a not little sure. bit co- but- yeah enough to put him off the shot but not enough for a penalty yeah I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a penalty I think he you know probably could and should do a little bit better with, with the effort and maybe the two efforts that he had but look he did make a big contribution in terms of uh, getting us uh, a point from a game which looked for a long time like it was uh, was going to end much worse than it already did so I mean where do you where do you place this in the the pantheon of this season is it just uh another example of our inconsistency another example of what it is we need to do better and what we need to improve on you know i we we, we can't keep writing off these kind of uh big defensive errors no. or as aberrations do you know what i mean there's no. a clear established pattern of late with us shooting ourselves in the foot yeah. as we've said so many times um, and, and you know and ordinarily a 3-3 game like that you might kind of set it to one side and say wow that was just a, a crazy 90 minutes of football but it's not it's a microcosm of what we're doing more generally um, it's a really really f- confusing time to be an Arsenal fan I think because there are <laughs> signs of progress which seem sort of undermined at every turn. Um, yeah, I, I, it is genuinely difficult to get your head around, isn't it? It is, because for every bit of encouragement that we have, 
you can't help but worry about some of the stuff that we saw yesterday. Because it's, I, yeah. it's a lot of it is just basics. It's basics. Like, you and, know, and, uh, sorry. Yesterday, sorry, I was just going to say, it's not, you know, we've seen a lot of individual errors and there were individual errors involved in the goals we conceded yesterday, but it was a collective malaise in that opening half hour. You know, yeah. I don't think you could just write it off as, oh, Granite Shacker's brain fell out again. You know, it, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was a wider problem than that. It and I was. think it is a wider problem. It is a wider problem. And, you know, there, there is encouragement to be taken from uh, a situation where you play that badly. And look, you could, you could see the interviews where the game ends and we've lost and the guys are saying, well, look, we've got to work harder on the training ground. We've got to put things right, et cetera, et cetera. They put it right before the end of the game. Even if we did ride our look a little bit, they put it right before the end of the game. So that's good. But yeah. I don't know. You, you you can't keep giving away goals the way we've been giving away goals. And um, whether it's individual or whether it's collective, there needs to be more security defensively than we've been seeing of late. A hundred percent. And, you know, had we achieved this result in a different fashion, um, you know, a, a point against West Ham, given where, given the season they're having and the season we're having is not in itself a disastrous result, but just yeah. it was shocking the mountain that we gave ourselves to climb. And if we continue to do that, we will not make sufficient progress. And it, all the good things that yeah. are definitely going on in this team will be for naught. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the word you used earlier is absolutely correct undermined you know mm. there are things to be encouraged about there are things that that i like about what we're doing and how we're trying to play i think maybe we we fell away from that a little bit yesterday in terms of how we set up the team um maybe some of it was was uh, team selection was impacted by injury you know there was no no Willian, which isn't something I'm going to cry about, but, you know, Smith Rowe not being 100%, not perhaps being ready to start, had an impact on the team selection in that, you know, he yeah. he, he he picked something different. He picked Lacazette up front, and I thought Lacazette, as I said, was really good yesterday, had a very, very good game, but what's worked best over the last little while is those three technical players behind, um, you know, Aubameyang, even though he hasn't really been scoring, Although you could say behind a striker, I guess, because Lacazette. There have been um, games it's worked well with, with Lacazette. Lacazette. Yeah. You think you know. of um, Chelsea, yeah. uh, West Brom, you know, was uh, well, one of those players with a Bamiang wasn't yeah. behind Lacazette. But yeah. there have been games where it's worked that way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, had, had he been able to start Smith Rowe or Willian on that left-hand side, perhaps he would have done. And perhaps it would have been just one of Aubameyang or Lacazette in the starting eleven. Um, It'd be interesting. Think, it would have been interesting to see which one. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, because I think you know after the performance that Arsenal produced in the North London derby, even though it was a very up and down game for Lacazette personally, you know, sticking with some some of what worked on that day, you couldn't have necessarily argued with that. Yeah, um, it, yeah. It, yeah I, I think that's an interesting thing about the Aubameyang selection of him in the wide areas as well I think you're right for so long this season Arsenal have kind of struggled he had a, such a 
disappointing first half of the season, didn't he, Aubameyang? And then they found something that was working for him and for the team. Yeah. And then it sort of wasn't working from an individual perspective for him because, you know, he had the bad night in front of goal against Benfica, bad night in front of goal against Olympiacos. I thought he was mm. genuinely probably our worst player yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have some questions about Aubameyang, so I don't want to labour this particular point right now. But in terms of our collective performance, you know, we talked about these three technical players behind a striker. And what we did was we we put a non-technical player in his least effective position. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, like you said, it's not it's not necessarily the reason why we conceded the goals that we did, but perhaps it was a reason as to why we weren't able to control the game the way we would well, we like or get into, into the, game the game once we swap them, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so. Yeah, and I also just think that the, the point about the technical aspect is an important one. I mean, we've said it so many times about Aubameyang. If if he's not getting on the end of stuff, there's only so much he can offer you. And it, it was a bit of a conundrum, I thought, for Mikel Arteta because he wasn't contributing a huge amount in the game. I think he probably was our, our most disappointing player on the day. But there's always that temptation to leave him on because he might find that half yard of space in the penalty box that makes all the difference. I thought it was a brave call actually to bring him off, even mm. though he was playing poorly. Um, I, I get that. I get that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm. It's, it's, it's one of those things where you're going. We need a goal, and taking off, you know, our our best goal scorer, even though he hasn't been in great form or anything like it. But you know taking him off or taking a striker of that caliber off when you need a goal is not easy even when he is playing as poorly as he played yesterday and to be honest I thought he was probably a bit lucky to last as long as he did yeah yeah you know Uh, but I I, 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 I understand why as a manager you're thinking well fuck you know we need a goal do I take the striker off, even if I he's think not there's playing. A dilemma it, there, it is. Isn't it, is. There? it does. It causes a problem. Uh, you know, or it certainly gives you a decision to make. Because you know, it wasn't his day, but it's not been his day in the past, and he's just you know been in the right place at the right time to make the difference at times. So yeah, I thought it was. I mean, I think it tells you quite how off his game he was that he was brought off. Let's put it like that. Mm, yeah. Um, Although still, maybe he was distracting defenders for that Lacazette header because he can't have been far away from the pitch, can he? He was no, straight he was, back off for right, the celebration. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? So, look, in conclusion to part one, a well-timed interlull? Yeah, yeah. I think very much needed after the run of games we've had um, and definitely some some thinking to be done for Mikel Arteta. You know, when he analyses this period there will be that kind of balance of of things that have pleased him and satisfied him and things that will have enormously frustrated him. Um, so plenty of food for thought for this fortnight. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully uh, it gives him and his staff a chance to take stock and reassess and, and sort some shit out because that shit really does need to be sorted out. You know, mm. the 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 length of time it's been since we've kept a clean sheet is is too big. It's too mm. big. Um, so some some thinking to do. So look, uh, let's take a break right here and we will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. I am going to start today, James, okay. if you don't mind. And okay. this one comes from Philip Anastasi on Twitter, who is at Leftover underscore Crumbs. And he said... Nearly eight months into the season, and we don't have a settled centre-back pairing. Do you think this is holding us back from ironing out those ridiculous errors in every first half we play? I don't wish to be... I don't want to be a hypocrite here, because I think in recent weeks I've sort of said that there's a benefit to the fact that there's, you know, the ability to rotate at centre-half. And I think in this season particularly, maybe more than any other ever before, there is a need to chop and change the starting eleven. Um However, there is the old maxim, isn't there, about kind of playing a consistent back four in order to mm. iron out errors. I, I think it is... I actually would say that I consider the error here probably under-rotating in that I think David Luiz has probably been asked to play too many games and I don't quite understand the reluctance to use maybe Rob Holding, for example. Um, uh, you know, he's been a bit reticent to play him of late and I think, you know, Luiz does give you a lot in his passing and I thought in the second half his passing was really important to helping Arsenal progress the ball. But if playing David Luiz is like playing Russian roulette, um, we've pulled the trigger a lot recently, you know? Yeah. And sooner or later it catches up with you. So I think in, a, in an ordinary season, I'd like to see a settled centre-half partnership. I understand why that isn't the case this season. And I think maybe we've asked a little bit too much of Luiz. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um I sort of agree with the question, but sort of broadening it out, I think what's really clear is that the right-sided centre half is is an important position for us to get right for next season, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Louise and his passing on his day is excellent. Only completed two of seven long balls yesterday, though, so that element to his game wasn't 
as good as it can be. Uh, like I said, I think he grew into the game. I think he defended bravely a couple of times in the second half. He he went on his own little rampage forward, didn't he, before he was crudely hacked down by yeah. Antonio and then went up for a free kick and he looked exhausted. I mean, the man looks absolutely exhausted. He terrifies me. I'm, I can't lie about that. The 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 sense that I have that at any moment he could make an error never leaves me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he has played well of late, you know, for the most part. But I, I think the issue for me is that if we if we acknowledge that Gabriel is probably the first choice and should be the first choice left center half, we have to find that player for the right for next season because it's not Rob Holding for me, mm. um, who I think can be. A decent squad option, but not the starting centre half in a team which wants to make real progress, right? And that's not to no, be dismissive. I, I don't of think him. that either, by the way. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was only saying that as a rotation. No, no, no. I, I, I get it. I, I just think that as a squad option, Rob Holding is is good. He's the right sort of age. He's English. Right sort of personality, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, you think. know, I think he, he, he gives us some squad depth, but I don't think he can be the starting centre-half if we want the team to make the kind of progress that we wanted to make. Nor can David Luiz next season, in my opinion. You know, he already looks like a player who's, um, whose legs are beginning to sing a little you know what I mean he's going to be 34 next month Mm -hmm. how much more can you get out of him really what more can he give you Um, so for me what we do for next season in the right centre half position is, is going to be really important as to how we develop this team and what kind of a player we have in that position and whether it's William Saliba or whether it's somebody else if we don't upgrade there in order to maintain some kind of consistency at center half then I think we're going to find it difficult to be as defensively solid as Mikel Arteta and everyone listening to this wants us to be Mm. Mm. It's it, the Louise one is really interesting. You know what they're going to do about his contractual situation. Tim Stillman wrote a good piece for Ask Blog, didn't he? Yeah. Sort of saying he thinks he'll get a new deal. Um, I think there's every chance. You know that he that he might. If it was in my hands, I would really, really be leaning into using Saliba. I just think. There's not going to be a vast amount of money available this summer well, for yeah. Arsenal to go and do business in the market. And I've got a question in a minute about a player they might want to buy permanently that probably wouldn't come very cheap. And Let's if you've got someone surveillance. on the books, <laughs> if, you, um, if you've got someone on the books... Who you've already paid £28 million for. You've got to try and give that a go. Yeah, I, think. I agree. I agree. I just think it would be crazy not to um but you know we've had that debate before um 
So, this is my question that I was going to ask you. Uh-huh. No surprises what it's about. It's from Boom Shakalaka on the Discord. And they ask, how much would you be willing to pay for Odegaard? And do you have any concerns that will be priced out of buying him if he continues to play this well? That is the double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, um, when you bring in a player on loan who plays really, really well, ultimately the beneficiary is the club that owns him. Like, okay, he's going to give us plenty on the pitch. And I think what he can give us between now and May, we need to sit back and enjoy and and everything else and and keep fingers crossed. But ultimately, it benefits Real Madrid, either from the perspective of uh, a club that now has a player who's gained fantastic experience playing in the Premier League and could come back to La Liga and play at a high level for them if they see a role in the team for him, or it increases his value. Uh We knew that. You know that when you're when you loan a player, um, that this is a possibility, you know, how much would I pay for him? I mean, I'd pay whatever it took to get party at least. I mean, he's got two years left on his deal at Real Madrid. So maybe if they've got a Raul Sanyehi of their own, who says you've got to do the deals two years out, they have a decision to make. I think we spoke about this the other day. You know, we, we do have some advantage in that he's here with us. And if he mm-hmm. likes it, and if he likes the team and he likes the club and he likes the manager and he likes what we could sell him, you know, in terms of look look at what you could become for this team. Look at the kind of player you could become, you know, pivotal to to Arsenal Football Club. If that's something that floats his boat, then, you know, we could potentially make something happen. But of course, the better he plays the more eyes are going to be on him, the more we're going to be talking about him, the more Madrid are going to want for him and, and all the rest. But that's just something you have to contend with. It's kind of a risk that you take. It's the price of success of the loan, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like, is the loan... Did did uh, Edu and Arteta do this loan deal simply to give us something for six months? Or did they do this loan deal to give us something for six months or that they thought they could get for six months, but also to lay the groundwork for a player that they want to bring in on a, on a permanent basis? Yeah. I would hope it's the latter. You know what I mean? Because the quality that Odegaard has is is indisputable. So, you know, the idea that is just like, well, we only ever wanted him for six months anyway. He can go back to Real Madrid, you know, d- doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I think we probably need to, you know, launch a letter writing campaign. Uh, you know, dear Zinedine Never mind that, Zidane. What, a crowdfunder, probably. Well, that too, but like, dear Zidane, I'm sorry to tell you this, but despite the fact that Martin Odegaard appears to be playing very well for Arsenal, he's he's just an absolute bollocks off the pitch. He's a, <laughs> he's a bad, bad boy. He's very naughty and nobody likes him and he smells and really saying weird things about you and your head. He says your head is weird and hairless and he doesn't like you and he doesn't like Spain or Madrid. And actually, he's got a tattoo that says, I love Barcelona right across his chest. So, you know, probably you don't want to be dealing with this guy anymore. We'll we'll take that responsibility for you. We'll do you a solid here and we'll take him off your hands. That kind Very of Very ch- charitable of yeah. us. I mean, it's interesting. Zidane's probably not the one we need to be right to because he didn't pick him, you know, this yeah. season. I think he started three La Liga games. And it is a really complex situation at Madrid, as far as I understand it, because Zidane's own future is in some doubt mm. you know, it looks like Madrid might get pipped to the title by Atletico which won't go down very well um, but 
Florentino Perez, the club president, has always been a really big proponent of Odegaard mm. and always seen him as part of the future of the club. So if there is a managerial change, uh, that could play into Odegaard's hands if he wants to go back to Madrid and, and be a star there. However, on the other side of the coin, Madrid are in a nightmarish financial situation. I mean, as bad yeah. as it is for English clubs, for Barcelona and Madrid, it is at another level. I think Swiss Ramble estimated or, or, or wrote that they had lost, were go set to lose like 400 million euros over the two seasons of coronavirus. Yeah, but what they'll probably do is just sell an acre of land, yeah. you know, to one of the banks and to the, the king, and the king will give them a trillion pounds. And It never seems fine. to affect them. You know? But if they do, you know, need to fund a rebuild, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm on, I'll be honest, I'm not hugely optimistic just because Madrid do need to kind of renovate their squad slightly. And a bit like us with Saliba, they'd be kind of crazy to not make Odegaard part of that. Um, but... Yeah, but it's a slightly different situation in that, you know, they didn't pay a huge amount for Odegaard because they got him when he was very young, right? True. So it's not quite that. And if they do have their beady little eyes set on somebody like Haaland or Mbappe or something like that, which, you know, is pretty pretty uh, likely considering the way that that Real Madrid operate, you know, Um, if they could be convinced to sell knowing that it would give them some funds to add to what they could bid for one of the one of the big players in the world because that's really what they want that's what their you know that's what their foundations are in a way is bringing in particularly in Madrid is bringing in these you know massive stars Galacticos, the Galacticos yeah. so you know there is there is the possibility of it and like i say we need to lay the groundwork as much as possible with with Odegaard himself it's clear arteta really likes him it's clear he he sees him as a, a, a key part of his team right at this moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, you know, he, 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 you know, it's not a wishy-washy Dennis Suarez loan this, you know? No, and by the way, I think that's been a little bit overlooked. How impressive it is to come into a new league and a new team at the midway point in the season yeah. and immediately establish yourself and immediately be producing these kinds of performances. Mm. I think that's really impressive on Odegaard's part. Um, and I suppose the appeal of Arsenal, I mean, look, we're, you know, unlike Madrid, we're not going to be a Champions League club. We're not going to, in all likelihood, be contesting the title next season. But, you know, against West Ham, this looked like Odegaard's team. And he is absolutely the main man on the creative front at the moment. Yeah. And I, I, I'm kind of a little bit optimistic that his recent appointment as Norway international captain might just make him think, look, I need to play. You know, I need to be playing regular football. Um, yeah, like he needs to be an important player in whatever team he's playing for. Like he could go to Real Madrid and maybe he could be an important player there. But at Arsenal, you look at him as essentially first name on the team sheet player right now and and how quickly that's happened is a real credit to him but in terms of the price I think you're right to mention the Thomas Partey price I can't see given his age given his potential yeah very difficult to see how you would get away with paying less than 40 million quid or something like that yeah 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 um, and that's good unless be the market's difficult. completely shot you know but yeah. 
And, 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 and yeah, where the hell do Arsenal find that money? Yeah, well, look, there are players who could go when you think about what we could sell this summer. Genduzi could go. Maitland-Niles could go. Torreira could go. Could slash should in all of those cases. You know what I mean? There are other players who, who could generate yeah. funds. And I think your point, going back to Saliba, is, is spot on about using the resources that we have. We cannot afford to not... Uh, or to waste the twenty eight million pounds we spent on Saliba, mm. you know we 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 have to prioritize the areas of the team, and we do need to uh, to sign defenders, you know, or or bring in a defender or sort out that defensive side of things. But similarly, you know, the idea of like we could not have done what we did yesterday against West Ham without Martin Odegaard, and if we'd played well and won the game, we probably couldn't have done it without Martin Odegaard either if we cut out those defensive mistakes. So, mm. you know, we had a question. Um, it was from boom, 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 uh, Brian Richards on Twitter, who's at BrainRichards99, who says, Odegaard is keeping him our number one priority this summer. I don't think it's our number one priority per se, but it's certainly important that we try our best to make it happen if it's at all possible because you know from 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 what we've seen and from the influence he's had and and the impact he's had in a short period of time i just would like to see this guy in an arsenal shirt for for years you know I, yeah I, th- I think it might be our number one priority yeah it could be i mean the other thing about him is he's the right age like it, exactly, as an investment yeah. it makes a lot of sense um you know i i don't really like to talk about players in terms of resale value but he would have it and yeah i i i think i think it could be quite important for the development of this team if we're able to convince him to move to arsenal mm. um i think it would be i just think sort of you know imagine taking him out of the side and sort of starting again on that front. I mean, you've got Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah, yeah. But but you've still got a kind of pretty big gap in that area of the park. And they are different types of players. Um, and why not have both? Well, yeah, <laughs> Please exactly. Please have both. Why not have both? You know, you, you, you're, you need those options and you need that depth in terms of quality. So, like, there's a million reasons why Arsenal should do their best to, to, to make that happen. Yeah, and I guess what I would say is... Although these numbers sound daunting, it's not Nicola Pepe money. It's not 100 million. It's not an infeasibly unrealistic, you know, maybe it is a bit unrealistic in the current climate, but it's not such a huge kind of albatross sum of money that's going to hang around like a millstone around our neck. I think it's a deal that would make a lot of sense for Arsenal. I think the bigger question is if it makes sense for Odegaard and that's the decision that that we want to get. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as much as we can convince him by talking, we need to convince him by, you know, he's he's going to be an ambitious player as well. And there is, I think, something slightly romantic about the idea of being part of, you know, a new generation or a rebuild at a club, um, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. But, you know, at the same time, there's only so much a player, like if he has to keep bailing us out because we keep, making defensive mistakes you know what I mean we have to convince him that that the team can make the kind of progress that we all want to make as well you know that it's not just going to be 
good one week, not great the next week, firefighting another week. Oh, look, we've set our, oh, we've set our own balls on fire again. Oh, shit. Um, you know, there has to be um, more from the manager and, and the way that he produces consistency with the team as well. So, look, mm-hmm. here's one from Joe Patch, who's that boring Joe Patch, who says, are you worried about Leno? Seems to be edgy with the ball at his feet and no real competition for a starting place. Not convincing with crosses in the air either, etc., etc. Yeah. What's your what's your hot Leno take? Yeah. It's an interesting one, that. I think... Um, how can I put it? I'm a bit disappointed in his recent form, but I would be... It would be an exaggeration to say I was especially worried about him. Um, I think he has had a shaky period, but I think you've got to look at that in context. And I think generally he has until very recently been largely good this season. And I'm, I, th- I have faith that he will recover from this slightly shaky patch. What about you? I don't disagree with any of that. Mm-hmm. I think he... He does need to improve his form. It has been a bit iffy of late. I just have some concerns about his passing and and his playing out from the back. Mm. I think, I wonder if that's going to be a bigger issue than we might think for I think it Arteta. might be a bigger issue, yeah, than I would like it to be. <laughs> I think Arteta... Well, listen, look, we know how dogmatic some of these coaches can be and we know how important, I think, that aspect of the game is to Arteta. It wouldn't surprise me if he was prepared to sacrifice... Um, other aspects of Leno's game for someone who was more adept with the ball at his feet. That wouldn't surprise me enormously. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm I'm thinking of all the goalkeepers that City went through because they could play with the ball at their feet. Claudio Bravo, you know? etc. And then they found a guy who can play but also has the right size, you know, to be to be a top level goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, because, you know, obviously we're, we're thinking of David Raya here uh, as somebody who they, they like. Um, and A, I, I'm worried that any recommendation from that goalkeeping coach based on previous recommendations is not convincing. And mm. the other thing is he's not that big. He's just not that. He's kind of Ospina sized, isn't he? And, and um, yeah, I'm not sure he's six foot. And I don't think he's had. Uh, quite the season this year as he did last time. Um, you know, I don't know if that's to do with the speculation or over his future or anything like that, but I don't think he's playing quite as well as he was last season. Mm. Um, yeah, anyway, well, it's certainly one to to keep an eye on. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, it wouldn't be top of my list in the summer. Talking about summer priorities, you know, I'm pretty happy with Burns Leno, I have to say. Yeah, it wouldn't be top um, of my list either, but but I do think he needs to... Yeah, hopefully the international break will be... Um, he's going away with Germany, I think. Um, yeah. So maybe just a chance to refocus and, and everything else. Because I think generally he has been good. 
I think yeah, so. Yeah. And, you know, in the first half of the season, we were all saying, you know, how fantastic he was. And he bounced back so well from kind of the Emmy Martinez debate. Um, and I think I, 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 I'm optimistic he'll recover that. But this is... Do you I think- don't want to keep making excuses for players, but yeah. this is just such a weird... Weird, weird, weird season. And do, do, I do think the mental fatigue might be... Well, actually, there was a question on the Discord. And just while I find it, I was just going to ask you, you know, like I said afterwards, said we didn't respect the game plan. Do you think there's any correlation between the amount of times Bernd Leno kicked it long in the first half and his comments about not respecting the game plan? And Noble... Uh, Nobel94 uh, on the Discord says, uh, Evening gents, uh, fatigue has been discussed a lot lately, especially in regard to players like Louis, Saka and Shaka. but the player with the most minutes never gets a mention, Bernd Leno. Has the mm-hmm. mental aspect of his position been overlooked lately? His decision-making and focus have been below his best lately. I can't help think uh, we should have been resting him in the Europa League fixtures and letting Matty Ryan play. The interlow will provide him rest, but is it now too late? So, I mean, do you think that is potentially a, a factor? I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think it is a huge kind of load on a player. Um, and even though maybe physically it's not quite as demanding mm. as other positions, mentally it certainly is. And the degree of concentration that's required, the degree of focus, the degree of pressure, you know, pressure as a mm. goalkeeper is huge. And especially when you make a couple of errors, I mean, that really ramps up. Um, so I think that's a really astute point. What was the first question well it was about the correlation between not respecting the game ah, plan and kicking plan. long i mean do you think that yeah i mean there were something? interesting things happening in the early period of the game it did seem like we were almost playing you know chambers was almost tucked in as kind of a third center half and Tierney was playing extremely high in the first 15 minutes higher than he even normally does i do think there was a kind of something to our shape and i, I think this probably plays into a bamiang being on the right as it were mm. that, that we were supposed to be doing that we just didn't manage to pull off um as for Leno's distribution I'd have to look closer at that I couldn't tell you from memory you know if it seemed like he was going do, 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 was he did he seem to be going longer to you yeah in the first half in particular there were a number of occasions where you know we kicked it long and we didn't really have an outlet mm. you know mm. yeah could be part of it I find it really interesting that, you know, I think Mikel Arteta is, um, how can I put it? His his credibility as Arsenal manager, I think, is still open to debate and is the subject of debate, I think, among a lot of Arsenal fans. But I think one of the things that lends him um, the most strength in some ways, in my view, is how quick and how ready his players are to throw themselves under the bus. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like in a in a in a post match environment, yeah, the players are so quick to say, 
this isn't on the manager, it's on us. It's, it's unusual, I think. Yeah, well, look, let me just ask you this, then, because it's slightly tied into it. It comes from the Discord as well, from Mr. C.J. Wright, who says, are we starting to see a more ruthless side of Arteta? In recent weeks, we've seen Willian not feature as much as at the start. Bellerin rotated out with Chambers and Cedric. Aubameyang punished for being late last week and hooked off yesterday for a poor performance, whereas under normal circumstances, he would have stayed on. Is this the kind of style that will hopefully get the best out of the rest of the team? Is is that a positive for you? I think there's always been a ruthlessness to him, to be honest. I mean, if you look at his treatment of players like Ganduzi or Meza Erzul, mm. um, I'm sure there are others. I think there's always been... Socrates. Socrates, yeah. He's always been prepared to make seemingly quite difficult decisions Um even playing Willian is, at times was <laughs> yeah. a difficult decision. Yeah, and, and I, I wonder if maybe the difference is that the kind of usual suspects in terms of the people who found themselves on the wrong side of Arteta have largely moved on. So we're now seeing that same uh, reasoning applied to a smaller group and therefore mm. some of it stands out as more of a surprise. Um, but I think there's always been... A ruthless, ruthlessness there. Maybe it's not always been evenly applied, but I think that he's always had that streak to him. Um, and I, and personally, it's something I like because I would be lying if I said, you know, in the kind of in the final years of Arsene Wenger, that I didn't feel like Arsenal was sometimes too comfortable an environment. And I think yeah. having someone who's prepared to make things a bit abrasive and a bit difficult. Um, is probably quite a helpful thing. Yeah, for the club. like yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I think you know the Aubameyang situation last week is is one of those, and it's not to relitigate it, but that that's a big decision and a brave decision on North London Derby Day. That yeah. if you don't win, it comes back to bite you in the arse. But if you're committed to um, you know, changing the culture and applying the like from the outside, there are certain things that we look at and think, well, certain players get different things and and everything else. You know, we don't know everything about everything that goes on. It just looks that way from the outside. But but if you're dropping your captain, your best goal scorer on the day of a derby, it does show a commitment to to the culture that you're trying to instill and, and everything else. I suppose the, the one thing I would say is that having options makes it easier to be ruthless. True. You know? So the, yeah. the better your squad, the easier it is to make what appear to be ruthless decisions, you know, mm-hmm. like if it if it uh, if your options are Aubameyang and and Lacazette, then that certainly makes it easier than if your option is Aubameyang and Cabadiawara, for example. Sure, you know what I mean. Sure. So yeah. so building a squad and building a group of players. Um, that allows you when you need to be or when you feel like it or when a player merits ruthlessness, in inverted commas, makes your job an awful lot easier, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. I guess that's part of, um, I, you know, I hate to use the, the phrase, the, the process or whatever it is, but part of what's going on is rebuilding this squad. Um and hopefully he gets to a point where he can, um, you know, make difficult decisions 
with the safety net of having good players to fill the fill the gaps that he needs to fill, you know? I think, I mean, an example of that ruthlessness maybe is, uh, unless there's some injury problem I don't know about, the exclusion of Hector Bellerin from the squad yesterday. You know, he's been an important player for a long time at Arsenal, but Arteta couldn't find a place for him in the in the matchday squad. And yeah. I guess that was because he picked Chambers and he thought, well, I'm going to take Cedric because he can play left-back as well. And it gives me that extra bit of cover. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a dismissal of Hector Bellerin because he played in both the um, Olympiacos games. No, 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 no. But it's born out of, like you say, it's yeah. ruthlessness born out of competition. And there are a lot of areas of this team where it is close between players. You know, it is, there are a lot of battles for places that are quite fine margins. At the Correct. Point. And like in some cases, it's because the quality isn't there. Yeah, you and know? in some places it's because performances have dipped from you know people, players who were previously clear first choices. Yeah, so there are different reasons for that, but mm. it kind of I think it creates that effect of of ruthlessness. Sure. On the subject of ruthlessness and dropping players, I mean there are a lot of questions about Abemiang. Um, mm. I mean. Masud Jaffa on Twitter said, am I mad in thinking we should maybe leave Aubameyang out of the starting 11? Uh, Joseph Petrassi, do you think Alba should be dropped and should earn his place back? Uh, Les on Twitter even asking, hi guys, could we and would you sell Aubameyang this summer? Um, I, I suppose let's start with the, with the should we drop Aubameyang thing. Do you think that that's a conversation worth having at this point? Um well, we're Look, going to have it anyway. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, and I are. Yeah, we are. We are. I mean, do you drop him? Well, I think the thing is, right, that whenever a player goes through a difficult period, there's a tendency to jump to, A, the worst case scenario, mm. and and people take these definitive positions which don't allow for any discussion or nuance or anything like it. Like, I saw a lot of people over the last couple of weeks saying, Aubameyang just doesn't care. He doesn't care anymore. We gave him the contract. Yeah, he doesn't from? care. Right? And I, I, like, I don't see, I don't see that. Personally, I, I just don't see it. Like, you could say, well, if he cared, he'd turn up on time for the derby. But like, okay. He got caught in traffic, and I'm not excusing him or anything like it. He he has a responsibility as the captain of the club to be there. But is it because he doesn't care? I don't believe that. He had some bad games lately where he didn't take the chances. I mean, did he look like a guy when he missed the chances against Olympiacos who was like, ah, fuck it, who cares? No, yeah. he didn't. He didn't look like that. He looked like a guy who was really pissed off that he didn't score the goals that he wanted to score. When we scored the third goal yesterday, as he was, you know, making his way around the back of the pitch, did he look like a guy who didn't care? Did he just keep walking? Or did he go like, oh, my God, he celebrated with, with Lacazette and, and Martinelli? You know, mm. so this idea that he doesn't care anymore, I don't, I just don't get it. Um, should we drop him? I, You know, I think there's probably an argument that he's he's got to play his way back into into the team. You know, and Lacazette did really well yesterday. Um, I, I think the system, I think what we shouldn't do is is sort of 
shoehorn him into the team Craig on the Bonham right. Man. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I I think that was wrong. I would have I would have liked to have seen Aubameyang start up front yesterday. Um. But because of the 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 little injury to Smith Rowe, and because we couldn't have that technical player on the left, he you know he kind of fudged his team selection, Arteta, and we've talked about it already. Mm-hmm. Um. So he look, could have picked Pepe, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he could have picked Pepe on the right hand side. Um. Again, though, not necessarily the the technical player. You know what I mean. I don't think it's not to say Pepe doesn't have technical skills, but skillful, but maybe not a retention. A bit more, player, exactly, yeah. a bit more of a of a final third Secure maverick, player. if you like. Um, mm. So look, you know, when he's not scoring goals and he's a striker, you're under the spotlight, and you're 31 years of age. You've got the big contract, and all of those things come into play. I think, I still think, our best setup is with those three technical players behind Aubameyang. That's mm-hmm. what I think. Um, again, to take nothing away from Lacazette in the way that he played yesterday. And if you play those three technical players behind Lacazette and he scores goals, then good. And if you play those three technical players behind Aubameyang and he, he scores goals, then good. Um, I don't think you can have sacred cows anymore. You know, if you're trying to instill that culture. And if Aubameyang's form is not great, then his position as captain shouldn't make him undroppable. I don't think that's true. Um, And when Lacazette plays the way that he played against West Ham, then it's good for the team and it's good for competition. But I still think that the most effective attacking lineup we have involves Aubameyang as the centre forward. And people can talk all they want about his hold-up play and his link play and all that kind of stuff. And maybe Lacazette does it better, but, you know, Lacazette doesn't go through on goal against Olympiacos the way Aubameyang did, right? No. Maybe, you know, they're different players that give you different things as centre forwards. And my preference, my personal preference would be for Aubameyang at this moment in time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of recency bias. I mean, Aubameyang has not scored in his last three appearances, but prior to that, he was on a run of, you know, six goals in six games. Yeah. Um, granted, three of them were a hat-trick against Leeds, but in that little period of games, he probably could have scored more than that because he was getting a lot of chances. I mean, we mentioned the, the Benfica match as one of those. Um, I, as I said in part one, I think Arsenal found something in terms of getting Aubameyang firing, playing through the middle. And given the contract he's on, yeah. um, given how effective he can be as a goal scorer, I really wouldn't be kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater at this yeah. point. Uh, you know, it's Liverpool next in our, in our very next game. Mm-hmm. I think there's every chance he starts that game. Yeah. And it forward. And look at the... And, uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, all I was going to say is, as someone who has been in the past a, a quite a big proponent of playing Aubameyang from the left-hand side, the way the team is playing now, the way that we've changed our setup, the way in which we transition differently, we're more of a possession-based team, I'm not sure there's any great need to be doing that. And I think in the likes of Saka, Smith-Rowe, Pepe, maybe even to an extent Willian, I think we have a, a different quality 
of wide player, a different type of wide player that is mm. more useful to us in build-up. And for me, the choice at the moment is between Lacazette and Aubameyang. Yeah, and Lacazette was, is, has three goals in 10 games, his last 10 appearances, you know? So he, he was very good, et cetera, et cetera, but it's not as if, you know... Uh, he's been banging them in week after week after week after week. And that's not to be critical. That's just to sort of point out what, what, what the players have been doing. I mean, there was a question uh, also on Twitter, uh, Dean at DJ Stanners. If you only had to keep one of Lacazette or Aubameyang for next season, who would you choose? I'd choose Aubameyang. Yeah, me too. Still. Yeah. And, and I actually think Lacazette has had a, a pretty decent season. He's had bad moments, but I think he's been better than he was last year. I think he's been effective at times. He's been a really good foil. Um, I don't think he's quite a, as bad a player as some make out. But Aubameyang is a proven elite goal scorer. Um, I, I think that's a quite a straightforward decision. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... And, the, and, the, and there the is reality a, is that's what's happening anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a decision to be made about Lacazette in the summer. And if good form between now and May increases his value then that's kind of where we need to go with it you know yeah and and I think I sort of have this sense with Lacazette even yesterday like I thought he did brilliantly against West Ham but I think there are other players who could do that um, within Arsenal's reach and who maybe even are more suited to it than Lacazette um, so yeah, uh, and as for the question of would I sell Aubameyang, I just don't think that's even on the table as a possibility. And I say that because partly because of the money that we've put him on and the contract we've put him on. I don't foresee someone mm. swooping in to take that over from us at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, that's another sort of added piece of motivation to make it work with him. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, Khalil Kieran's who's at Lord Akil or uh, yeah, Lord ah, Lord Cahill, sorry, uh, on right. Twitter says, "I love Aubameyang. I have his name on the shirt I got this season." But is there something to read into the fact that our three best performances of the season, Chelsea three one, Leicester three one, and Spurs two one, all came without Aubameyang playing? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I also think. Granted, they were terrible, but we had a brilliant attacking display against West Brom, and Aubameyang did play in that, but didn't score. Left, yeah, yeah, didn't score, and Lacazette played centrally. And I actually saw somewhere, and I'm sorry because I can't quote it; I don't have it to hand. But that there is there is some stats that suggest that uh, Lacazette does lead to kind of the general creation of chances, maybe more like his, his I don't know, his XA or something like that. I don't know. I, it, <laughs> But then there have been so many games of late. I, I just think recently we seem to have found something with Aubameyang that had kind of clicked, and I don't want to disregard that. Um, mm. I, He's just got to find his shooting boots again. Yeah. I mean, listen, he should have scored a couple of goals in the week, shouldn't he, against yeah. Olympiacos? He should have scored against Benfica. And, you know, there are, he should have scored against Benfica. Yeah. His finishing's maybe not been quite at the level certainly not at the level it was last season last season he was scoring chances he had no right to take you know um, he was kind of outperforming the chances that were provided to him that this season not so much but uh, that'll level out over yeah. time yeah I, I still think that the the centre forward question is an interesting 
one and you know where martinelli fits in that discussion for example exactly exactly i think you know that's something we've talked about before and you know i'm not necessarily sure that and you've made this point either that that the two center forwards Mikel arteta has at his disposal are his ideal no i'm not convinced of that you know so what we maybe what we do in terms of the training groundwork put into Martinelli or what we might do in the transfer market this summer is going to be very, very, very interesting, I think. Yeah, for sure. You got one more? Um, do you know what? Uh, most of the ones I had, you've actually already asked me. Great minds think a lot. Okay. Um, I'm have trying to think, do I've got one more? Oh, I've uh, got one here, actually. Yeah? Uh, just from Ashley Birkinshaw. It says, would you agree Kieran Tierney just didn't seem focused yesterday? Mentally, he's usually so sharp. Yesterday's head looked down. Is this perhaps the result of the hard schedule? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, it was his worst game for a while, I would say, Kieran Tierney. Yeah, look, uh, he was culpable for the second goal. One of the one of the players culpable for the second goal. Um, he does make a great block in the second half. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. Look, he's played a lot of football. We don't have a backup left back. We're asking an awful lot of him. So if he is tired physically and mentally, again, I'm not excusing it, but I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. I like this one from uh, Eddie Longbridge at Eddie Longbridge. Should Mikel Arteta consider hiring a hypnotherapist to make uh, Mikel Arteta believe we are 3-0 down before the kickoff? He'll be angry and frustrated and the pre-game team talk will ensure we go out and win the match with ease. (laughs) It's an idea. It's an idea. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we're getting a lot of angry Mikel after games at the present time. Mm. But... uh, yeah, be good if we if he could do whatever's needed before just to make sure that would be handy. Right mind. Just that very finally, nice. very finally, um, from the Discord, Wiltshire Gooner says, "Was the substitution of Xhaka and Aubameyang significant beyond the context of this single match?" We've kind of touched on Aubameyang already, but what about Smith Rowe for Xhaka? I think that's interesting. I mean, we ended up doing something a bit similar to what we did at Villa Park in the final stages with kind of, you know, Smith Rowe slightly off to the left and and, um, Odegaard to the right in almost a kind of midfield three, you know, almost the Man City way of playing with Mm. two number eights. Um, Maybe there is something in that in the future. I definitely think both players are capable of doing those jobs. But um, I think... In terms of bringing Shaka off, I think that was probably just about minutes yeah. at that point. Yeah. I mean, he has clocked up some miles. Some fresh legs. But I thought it was an interesting change as well, you know, to, to play yeah. or to put Smithrow in, in kind of that area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe there's something there that, that, that augurs for the future. But I think really it was in the context of the game. It was getting fresh legs on somebody with the ability to pick a pass to 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 run with the ball a bit as well which yeah. isn't necessarily what what Shaka can do okay well look I know you have to go and we've been talking a long time today about that crazy game so thank you to everyone for uh, sticking with us as always we really really appreciate it it is the interlull but we'll be doing plenty of stuff for you during the interlull over on the Patreon if you want to sign up patreon.com forward slash arsblog the usual podcast uh, schedule will apply as well so we'll have something for you this Friday in the meantime take it easy I uh, hope Arsenal haven't wrecked your head too much uh, well how can they not? 
That's what they do. But I, <laughs> <laughs> sorry that Arsenal have wrecked your heads so yeah, much. Sorry that I couldn't find any words of comfort and solace for you at this difficult time. I really do <laughs> apologize. All right, look, we'll leave it there. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.